Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, so excited, so excited for this new series uh, that we are calling We. And over the next few-ish months, maybe weeks, I don't know, uh, we are going to be filling in the blank. We are this. And I just want to let you know right off the bat that uh, as your pastor, I, I feel an urgency in my heart and in my spirit during this season to preach these messages in a very specific manner that are calling us in a sense, back to God's original design of the church. Um, I believe it's now more than ever, God is not calling his church to shrink back, but to rise up. Uh, I believe now more than ever, God is calling us to truly understand what we are as a collective called into and called for. So uh, as we start this brand new series, I want to open up to the book of Acts chapter 2. And there's a segment in scripture here that we truly, as in 2023 Meridian Idaho Legacy Church, we want to model our local church based on what Acts 2 describes as the early church. And it says this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. If you have your Bibles, would you please open it to that? And it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were, say with me, together. Together. Say it again, together. together. They were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. And you are going, Tony, this sounds a little bit, enter the political statement you want to make. But it says they were selling everything and distributing, making sure that as needs arose, every need was met. We're going to touch on that. And day by day, attending the temple, say it with me again, together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And praising God and having favor with all people, listen to this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray now that your spirit would guide today's sermon for these people, for this moment, for this hour, God. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our ears. Whoever we are, no matter where we're at on our journey of faith today, I pray, God, that you would speak to us clearly and, God, that you would reveal to us the things that you want us to live out and empower us, God, to live out the calling you have on each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I shared with you that a couple weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated 15 years of marriage. And here's, here's the first thing you, like if you're clapping, you might as well just actually clap. Um, you know, that's fine. Uh, but uh, if you're clapping, here, here's what I want to tell you is, one, I want to give credit to the sheer grace and mercy of God, okay? But then two, give credit to who credit's due, like I'm a lot 
And uh, my wife's a pretty strong woman to have kind of like endured the last 15 years together, right? Um, and 15 years is kind of a big deal. And we, we decided we wanted to do something to commemorate that kind of big landmark. And so we're, we're, we're necessarily in a place where like we could go to Hawaii or Brazil or somewhere. So we decided we're, we're going to do a keyword, a, a kid-free trip, okay? So we decided, uh, if you didn't know, uh, one of our elders, Anthony, who was playing drums, he and his wife happened to share the exact same anniversary. We were both, the, both not to each other, but the, our, and <laughs> this is awkward. This is not that kind of eldership. Um, we, both sets of couples got married separately to each other um, on 06, 07, 08. And so we, we, we share an anniversary. So we decided, you know, they have four kids. We have five kids. We said, let's go on a trip together, kid free. And so we got ourselves a, a cabin up in the mountains in Cascade. And we go, we'll, we'll get away for a few days. And man, I'll tell you what, the first day was just absolute heaven, just looking out in the mountains, got a hot tub, there's no, there's no kids screaming at me, nobody's asking for a snack, nobody yelled at each other on the drive up, come on parents, help me out here, right, it was peaceful, it was beautiful. The second day, now we're like, you know, my wife's a great chef, and so is Anthony, so Anthony and I, or I mean Emily and I just kind of sit back and watch them, you know, like do their thing, and they're cooking these gourmet meals, and nobody's going to complain about how much spice there is or isn't and nobody's gonna you're not gonna be telling eat your cucumbers eat your vegetables right it, it is this peaceful you come on no acid reflux dinner you know what I'm talking about like I am just loving life and on the third day I began to say weird things like you know our kids would really enjoy this By the middle of the day, we're out hiking and kind of walking and stuff. Our kids would love this walk. Look at that. And then all of a sudden, like I got specific, you know, so-and-so out of my kids and I name a kid, they would love this. And I'm telling you, on the fourth day, we had an entire family trip planned where we were going to come back with our children. Isn't that the way we're designed? To share experiences together. And yes, there's a time and a place and a moment to be alone. And even as believers, we're called to be alone with the Lord. But aren't we designed to live life within the context of togetherness and community? I mean, a shared experience is a beautiful experience when it is shared with others. And so as we look at the church, and today I want to talk to you about how we are the church and as we look at the book of Acts as our model, and we explore over the next several weeks what it means to be the church of God and, and what that means for all of us as followers of the way of Jesus, I got to say this, that the church should be the ultimate example of unity and togetherness. But let me just get right to it and tell you that, unfortunately, culture has seeped into the culture of the church. And because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, the church has become a place where division, where strife, where lack of unity is oftentimes experienced. Yeah. So today, I want to 
present to you, and really I'm breaking all the communication rules by giving you my three points right up front right now. Part of it is because I want to be able to go in and out of them over the next few weeks, over the next few months, however long this series goes. But I want you to have them at the forefront of our mind because when it comes to unity and togetherness and being the church, I believe there's three elements that we see here described in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And number one, that's this, that we are a people of community. We are also called to be a people of commitment. And we are also a people with a cause. I'm going to say it again. We are a people of community. We are a people of commitment. And we are a people with a cause. And the reality is this, is that I I may not have all the time today to really dive into every single detail of every point. In fact, Part of my my strategy today is to kind of give you a little bit of some cliffhangers and leave you wanting with more. I want to give you a bit of a taste and see because over the next several months, we're going to intertwine these three points. We're going to look through them, flesh them out and all that. But here's, here's what I want to make abundantly clear is that God is still building his church. Man, I had more amens from the 9 a.m. service on that one. God is still building his church. And, and, and his church is not plan B. Contrary to a doctrine that's out there, God didn't look at the world and all of its messed upness and go, oh my goodness, now I got to come up with a solution. No, the church has been plan A from day one. And the fact is this, is you must understand that you, my friend, no matter who you are, you play a huge, integral, important, crucial, and highly called part of this building of his church. I'm telling you right now, young, old, those that refuse to get old, come on, those in between, those of you that are sitting here, well, I'm immature in the faith, or I'm kind of new to faith, I don't care where you land, you must understand today, you are a crucial part of what God is building and establishing on this earth. And so over the next few weeks, like I said, we're going to explore what that looks like, and I got to say this as well, absolutely, church is not a building. Right? And, and our verbiage oftentimes dictates our theology and doctrine. Right? So a lot of times we refer to the church as a place. But now I'm telling you, you and I are the church. Okay? But, but there is something you've got to understand is you and I are the church. And in addition, we meet, hear me, at a place that is set apart with reverence and celebration and anticipation where we can meet with God where we can introduce others to this God, where we can be in commitment to what he has called us to so that we can be taught and eventually be sent out from this very place, which is why we say, Jesus, people hope for all. So you ready for this? Number one, we're people of community. Acts 2, 44 and verse 46 say it this way, and all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple, here it is again, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Let me say it to you this way. You and I were not designed to live life alone. But the enemy who comes to kill, 
steal, and destroy, has used several tactics in the unity and togetherness of the body of Christ. And I'm here to call them out today. Division, exclusion, isolation, rumors, trash-talking, criticism are all tactics of the enemy to destroy unity in the body. I'm going to say it again. Division, exclusion, isolation, trash-talking, rumors, criticism are what the enemy has used to come and cause division in what Christ is building. So how do we overcome those things? How do we overcome the tactic of the enemy? Well, my answer to you is by being in unity in a community where our lives are open, where our lives are transparent, where we humbly make way for one another. But what's interesting here is that this word that, 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 that we read in verse 44, it says, all who believed. This word believed in the Greek is pistiwo. Say it with me, pistiwo. Come on, you got to be brave. If I got to say it into a microphone, you're going to say it too. Pistiwo. There you go. Meaning, it means this. It's not just an intellectual belief, but it's the trusting in an active commitment to a person. So here's, here's what it's not. I have all this information. I can argue my way around doctrine and theology with anyone and everyone that comes at me. And I can prove how right I am and just how much knowledge and intellect I have. That is not the belief that is described here. Belief that is described here is a trusting in. An active commitment to a person, in this case, Jesus Christ. This is an active Greek verb that is used to represent a community that did not come together based on personal preferences, personal beliefs, or even just their personal experiences. Hear me, church. Those are all byproducts of a community united under one person and one mission. But we get it twisted sometimes. We get it twisted. We think community is I find a group of people that I just agree with. And if we're not careful, people that simply come in and solidify things in us that God's actually trying to pull out of us. You know, I'm reminded of the story where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, let's get into the boat and let's cross over to the other side. Anybody remember that story? And then a storm hits. And one of the disciples finds 11 other people to freak out with him. That's not community. Just because you find 11 other people to agree with you on some cancerous thought, on some divisive thing, on some toxic conversation, does not mean they're for you. No, no, community is as it is described in the Bible is this, as I come under this umbrella of the trusting and an active commitment to a person. So I don't just come into agreement with one another on how we see things. It's coming into agreement with the things of God. 
I'm going to say it again. It's not just coming into agreement with one another on how we see things. It's coming into agreement with the things of God. I'm going to dive into this a little deeper on the third point, but I got to tell you this. This also means we don't stand for or align ourselves with anything that comes against the things of God. I'm going to get into that. It's so interesting, and I want, to, I want to encourage you to do further reading, but at the time that this was written, the Roman Empire was in awe, and quite frankly, a little bit shocked by the fact that there were no people that were poor in the Christian community. The only community at the time that did not experience poverty in this time were Christians. There was no poor among them. Why? Because community meant everyone was taken care of. Belongings were sold. It says in the 45th verse that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. In other words, there was a willingness to go out of what I've got, I want to make sure my brother and my sister go, do not ever go without. My, how we've lost that. See, we live in a world that says the more you have, the more you should accumulate. See, we live in a world and a state of mind that says what you've got, you've worked for. So you keep it. And God's upside down revolutionary kingdom is going. You ensure that in community no one lacks anything. So we see these people. They made a priority in first placing God first and others second. Some of us can barely make Sunday community a priority in our lives. Love you. It's time, church, that we understand that true community places God and others first. And therefore, that's when we live out the two most important commandments of the law. You know, it's interesting because nowadays we live in a day and age where we talk about community and we don't even place God's community as a priority. We look at Sundays as an optional thing, all as if the Bible didn't mandate our gatherings. Then we look at small groups and and we go, well, that's just for the outgoing people. And we go, I don't really want to like open my life up to people. And we look at what the Bible describes these people were doing. And community was that. It was ironing sharp, iron sharpening iron. If this isn't lining up with your belief right now, I just want to have a pastoral moment and tell you, I want to encourage you to examine your heart. What have you aligned yourself to that is outside of God's biblical design of community? Why is it that gathering corporately, even though it's mandated in scriptures, is something that we look at as an optional thing?
I wish I could say this without feeling like some of you are probably passing it through the filter of, well, it's your job. I, I just want to say it to you this way. I don't get a raise if the attendance grows in this church. Okay, is that, is that just okay for me to say? Yes. Right, okay. Why is it that we don't open up our lives to one another? If you're having an issue with this, I want to just ask you to examine your heart. Why is it that welcoming in a stranger is so difficult for us? Why is it that we confuse community as, it's, I got me and my tribe and my people, and too bad you didn't get in on time? I want to encourage you here. Some of you have experienced beautiful things even in this community here. And it's time for you to contribute to that very culture that you love. Some of you have experienced what it's like to, wel to be welcomed in as a stranger. You're no longer a stranger. It's now your turn to welcome in the stranger. You, you came in broken and somebody loved on you and journeyed with you and has journeyed with you. It's now your turn to go shoulder something with somebody. Yep. Which leads me to this third, second thing, that they were a people of commitment. We are a people of commitment. Acts 2, 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This, this word de devoted, devotion, it's, it's a commitment, right? They were committed. They were devoted to specific things. And let me give you another Greek word here just for funsies. The Greek verb that is used here for devoted is, this one's even harder to say, so you're going to have to help me, proskatereo. It's going to appear on the screen anytime now, proskatereo. Right, there it is. Now you can see it, proskatereo. And here's, here's what it is. It's a lit, the literal meaning is to be glued or stuck together. To adhere to one, be his adherent, to be devoted or constant to one, to be steadfastly attentive unto, to give unmeriting care to a thing, to continue all the time in a place, to persevere and not. Did I just describe the opposite of cancel culture? Yes. 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 Okay, I, I'm so glad that I've got you, that you're listening, and, and thank you for even laughing at like some things that I say. But I gotta be honest with you, the fact that the church has allowed cancel culture to seep into its community is something we must repent from. Because this is what we do. I don't agree with you, so I have this, this little button on my phone that says unfollow. And what we do in the natural, we now have allowed ourselves to do in the spiritual. So I don't like what so-and-so said in small group. I don't like what this church said or did. And so now I get to just cancel people. And it says they were devoted 
And it says that they were devoted to four different things. Like I told you, I don't have the time to dive all the way into all these things, but I just want to hit you with them, and then we're going to dive into them over the next few weeks. But the first thing that they were devoted to, they had four commitments. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to fellowship, it says. It says they were committed to breaking of bread, and they were committed to prayer. Again, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. You're going to notice that as I break these four things out, if you know our values and if you don't know them, they're written up on that wall. You're going to see how these values actually even line up to this, almost as if we looked to the scripture to see what should drive us. Almost, 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 almost. But what we see here that the apostles' teaching is one of the things that they were committed to. In other words, they were faithful to the word. What was the apostles teaching? What were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the word of God. That's what they were teaching. They were, they were teaching what, what came in the Old Testament. They were, they were teaching what Jesus taught. And, they, and, and that, that is what they were teaching. They were faithful to the word. And I got to say something to all of you today. And it may or may not land. But I hope that in your spirit you catch what the Lord is trying to say. Biblical teaching in any healthy community should allow the word of God to judge culture, not vice versa. Biblical teaching allows the word of God to judge culture and not ever vice versa. But we've gotten it twisted. We've allowed culture to judge the word of God. We've allowed culture to question the word of God. And so we start doing things like we cut out things that might be offensive. When the Bible itself says that the gospel is offensive. <laughs> right? Like, do you know how the God, I don't know if you know this, but the gospel begins with, I recognize I'm a wretched piece of garbage. That's offensive. Right? To recognize God without you, I, I, I just, I'm a terrible human. Paul says, I mean, and he describes it, you think, you think I'm edgy with my words. Go read your Bible. Paul goes, I'm like, all my, all my efforts to be great are like filthy rags. And I don't mean to be... Uh, crude in this, but what he's referring to is when a woman was having a, a, a time of her month in her menstrual cycle. Like, that is literally what Paul is saying. This is how graphic this is. I, and I, I, know, I, I hope I don't offend you with that because it's, just, it's in the Bible. Like, it, so it begins with me recognizing I'm filthy. And, and we're like, I, I, I want to, and you know what, guys? I know that up to this point, maybe I've sounded a little harsh. Let me just humbly tell you, and I did this first service. I need to humbly repent even before you and tell you, I'm ready for this church to be more word sensitive than seeker sensitive. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I do say it with fear and trembling in my heart. But who taught the apostles' teaching? Do you guys know? 
like it says they were faithful to the apostles' teaching. Who was teaching the apostles' teaching? Okay, some, check this out. Some of you grew up in Sunday school, so you're like, Jesus, that's the answer. Some of you are brand new to faith, so you heard Jesus, so you're like, Jesus, that's it. It's actually a little less complicated than you think. Check this out. Great revelation. You ready? The apostles' teaching was taught by the apostles. <laughs> they were faithful to the God-given leadership in their lives. They were loyal to God's biblical hierarchy. And I'm not standing here posturing myself as the lead pastor telling you, you got to submit to me. But it's funny to me how in our work world, we have no problem accepting that there are hierarchies. Yet in the church world, we want everything to be here. Can I tell you a story? Okay, thanks, Paula. About five, about five years ago, and, and, and this story is a personal story that I'm, I'm telling to, to kind of preface what I'm about to say in this point. About five years ago, my wife and I moved our family from Oregon to Idaho. And, and at the time, we had, we had planted a church in what was called the graveyard of church plants in southeast Portland, the armpit of Portland. Um, I'm telling you, it was legitimately called the graveyard of churches because uh, the statistics said that after the third year, any new church plant in that area would die. So we were just crazy and naive enough to go, let's get after it. So with our, what we call our lifelong friends, but how many of you know that when you're my age, lifelong just means my adult life, right? So with our lifelong kind of best friends, we, we had planted this church and and I'll tell you what, when we got to the third year, it was a party. And then every year after that was a party to like have survived, right? And, and to thrive in the great, I mean, I kid you not, there are people here that went there. We actually had confetti cannons like at each anniversary because that's how much we were like, we survived another year in the graveyard of Portland, right? I kid you not, the subs would hit. In, in the gym that we, we would meet in the gymnasium of a middle school that was run down and, and just, it was gross. The subs would hit and dead mice would fall from the ceilings. Kid you not. Okay, this actually happened. And after this, we're, we're doing this, we're, we're, we're toiling, and now we're up to three services, and a 60-year-old church in town approaches us, and I kid you not, and this is, how, like, this is what ministers dream of. They hand us the church keys to their building, and their five, it was like five to ten acres of property that they owned outright, and they said, we believe and love what you're doing. Here's a building. Here's acreage. All for free. It's all yours. Kid you not. So we're like, hey, we're moving on up from the gym with falling mice. And we got a building that's probably a little bigger than this building. We're killing it. The next month, a church approaches us and literally gives us a $2 million check and says, we want you to use this money to renovate your building and just keep doing what you're doing. And then God spoke to me and asked me to uproot my family and move to Idaho.
I really, really wanted to stay and see the fruit of what we had worked hard for. And God called us here. So we move here. And Legacy Church at the time was looking for an assistant pastor and the opportunity kind of gets dropped on my lap and after a couple months of considering and praying it, I, I don't mean to offend anyone that was here prior, I, I didn't want to, I said no. And all my flesh, all that was in me, all my carnality, I'm like, no thank you. So how many of you know that sometimes the Lord uses your spouse? And she's like, let's listen again. I'm not so sure he's saying no. I think your flesh is saying no, Tony. And so we visited one more time on a Sunday. And I sat in the very back. Bernice, why don't you wave your hand? Just right where Bernice is sitting. That's where I was. I was wearing, I was wearing shorts, Birkenstocks, and a t-shirt because nobody knew me. And I was not anybody. And I was just a regular Joe. And in the middle of the service... The Spirit of God just blows into my life. And I get hit by the power and the presence of God. And I begin to see a vision for this place. I begin to get a heart for the people of this place. And right there, I just get wrecked by the presence of God in a place that I didn't want to say yes to. So I'm wrecked. And by the way, we are currently living things that I saw that day. Let's go. Oh, so I begin to get a vision for this house. I begin to get a heart for the people. And the rest is history. Why did I tell you this? Because I didn't make a way for myself to be in leadership in this house. God appoints who he wants to appoint, whenever he wants to appoint, however he wants to appoint. And so when I come to you and I tell you these people were faithful to their leadership, they were faithful to trusting that God had placed the right people in leadership. And yes, we leaders, me as a lead pastor, us as the pastoral team, the elders, team leaders of this house, yes, we serve and we ourselves walk under submission and authority and we answer to the right people. I get that and we model it, but, but we also are not held captive to the point of not being able to lead. And so we see that they were faithful to the apostles' teaching, they were faithful to trusting God had placed the right people at the helm. The next thing they were faithful to, they were committed to, was to fellowship Here's another Greek word for you, koinonia, literally means partnership, sharing possessions, sharing experiences, good and bad, sharing of a mission, united in Christ. This was something that they had to fight for because if you continue to read in the book of Acts, divisions immediately try to kick in. We read this snippet, but as soon as the snippet is over, we now begin to read in the book of Acts how divisions try to seep into the church. Different doctrines try to seep into the church and they had to fight for koinonia. They had to fight for fellowship through thick and thin. Valuing those that are lesser, almost as if one of our values is valuing everyone. Through thick and thin, it means we have conversations based on I choose relationship over always being right. 
It means I value those that culture values as lesser than. But this is where I got to talk to you and be honest with you. I'm watching as the world's culture that says, the moment I see your humanity, I leave you high and dry, is beginning to seep into the church. And two things happen. We abandon those that are the weaker vessels instead of restoring them with mercy and grace as Paul instructs the church to do so. Or two, when we're the weaker vessel, we disappear. And let me talk to you. That is the enemy's tactic. He wants you to be alone. We must fight against this tactic. Are you with me? Are you getting something out of this today? This is why we've got to be at an all-out war against cancel culture. Let me talk to my generation for a second. You've got to armor up and go all out warring against this idea that if, if I don't like you, I can throw you away. That as I get close to you and I see that there's humanity to you and there's weaknesses to you, that I'm not appalled and disgusted and will come back to me when you're whole. That's not fellowship, church. Come on, I need you to hear me on this. We gotta be the kind of people that stick with each other through thick and thin. Yes, it's a commitment. Yes, it's risky. Yes, you're gonna get hurt. Yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be scary at times, but this is what fellowship is like. True fellowship says, I stick with you through thick and thin. Now let me tell you, some of you are here today, and like me, you've been hurt by fellowship. Maybe you've been a part of a fellowship or a community that has hurt you. Humanity has gotten into it, and, and, and I am not minimizing your pain. Trust me, if you know my story, you know that several times along the way, I've had every reason to grow bitter towards community and fellowship. But in my experience, I can tell you, one, there's a God who can teach you to forgive and heal. And you know what's beautiful about the way God heals? Is he restores. And when he restores, you get more than you bargained for. Like, I'm telling you, the God that restores is the kind of God that gives you hundredfold, seven times fold. That which the enemy tried to meant for evil, I'm telling you, God turns it for good. And so that pain, that struggle, that thing that you've been working through, I'm telling you, there's healing for you. And just wait till you see the gold as for you, that God has for you. But what happens is we detach, we run away, or we give up on one another. Are we willing to journey even through difficulties? Man... There are marriages right now in this very room that had every reason to give up on each other. And right now they're on the other side of God restoring something beautiful because they stuck through thick and thin in fellowship with one another. There's families, there's families in this room that have had every reason under the sun to go, I'm done with this. And can I tell you, let me humanize myself for a second. It is risky. Fellowship is risky, and at times it's even painful. But like one of my mentors once told me, Tony, if you never want to get hurt again, lock yourself in a closet and never relate with anybody again. (laughs) 
but a healthy, robust community says, I'm willing to be with you through thick and thin, even when it's not ideal, even when it's not my preference, even when I have to choose relationship over being right. We're going to break this out further. The third thing that they were committed to was breaking a bread. This one you're going to love. Because I'm telling you what, who doesn't like to eat? Come on. Right? Like, we all love to eat. I was joking with somebody the other day that pastors, we need to work out twice as much because everything we do revolves around food. Right? How do you send kids to camp? Oh, I know. We do a chili cook-off. Right? And since you're the pastor, everybody serves you a bunch. Right? And you can't say no. You're not going to offend everybody. So I'm in, I'm in the ox over there, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, dude, I'm three chilies deep, and I still got 20 more to go. Right? Like, how do you get people to come to your church? I know you feed them hot dogs on the 4th of July, right? Like, <laughs> how many of you know that, like, food is just everywhere, right? But, but here's, here's where I want to point even to our values of hospitality and generosity. Here's what happens is the world tells us the more you have, the more resources you have, the more you should hoard for yourself. So this is what you do. You build taller fences, and God's going, how about build longer tables and more chairs? Yeah, the breaking of bread means out of the, what God has given to me, I make a seat for you at my table. I don't build a taller fence. I build a longer table and I put up more chairs so that you can have a seat too. Yes. So they, they were faithful in breaking of bread. And here's probably one of the most crucial things that they were faithful and committed to, and that is prayer. Again, you look at how we are a presence-driven church, and I got to say this. We will never, hear me, church, we will never do anything powerful, lasting, or fruitful unless it is rooted in prayer. Listen, we can hire an amazing youth leader like we did when we hired Lane. You could hire a great lead pastor like you did when you hired me. Right? You, could get new, you could get new carpet in the building. You could paint. You could do all these things. You could get an amazing worship team. Get lights. You can do technology. We can stream. We can do all these things. We can come up with cool, catchy phrases and, and things on our wall for people to remember. And we can give everybody an amazing experience on the 4th of July and on this and that. We can do all that. But hear me. If the presence of God isn't driving it, I don't want it. If the presence of God is not in what we do, then it's a, it's a momentary attraction. Yes. And guess what? There's more entertainment out there than there is even in here. I'm telling you, if you don't, if, if you don't get this, I'm just urging you to, to, again, look into your heart and understand that prayer is the engine and the lifeblood of a healthy, thriving, growing people. And a healthy, gr thriving, growing people are a people that recognize that they must be desperate for the presence and power of God. I'll tell you what, no church will go strong or deep unless it develops believers who pray. A praying church is a powerful church. A praying couple is a powerful couple. A praying family is a powerful family. I'll tell you what, we do not want to do anything like it said in the Old Testament. Unless you go, we don't want to go. They were presence-driven. They were faithful to prayer. They were committed to prayer. Why? Because they were a people with a cause. Mm -hmm. 
We are a people with a cause. Let me just take a quick breath. We must understand there are literal souls at stake. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's the cause? The salvation of souls. The message of hope being sent everywhere we go. And I think... We've gotten it twisted a little bit in this day and age. We see church as a place where we go, we get an experience, we hope that the preacher doesn't go, well, if you come here, you already know I'm going to go more than 45 minutes. And you hope that we sing some good songs. We take, and then we leave. And here's what I don't want for you as a pastor, is to be limited to your carnality and humanity that limits what God has for you. You and I were created for greater things than just ourselves. You and I are called to a greater cause. And if it's not clear, that cause is that there are people outside of these four walls that are dying, that are suffering, that have no hope, that have no fear of God in them, that don't have a relationship with the one and only true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's you and I that are called to carry that cause and that message out into the world. There were people with a cause, and I don't know if you've noticed lately, but around here over the last couple weeks, there's been a bit of a common theme around here, whether it's in Lane's sermons or my wife's sermons or my sermons or whoever's speaking up here. It's almost as if God's speaking to us. I mean, even our missionary for, from Thailand came in not knowing, like, I mean, the, the, the guy said, we, we live out our cause loudly. Yes. We don't shrink back. Yes. We don't relent. We don't just coast. We don't shy away from the battle. The people of God are not designed to shy away from a battle, but run into. Why? Because our mission and our cause is far more important than any of my preferences. Right. I had a lot more amens for service, so I'm just hoping that you're, you're just like internalizing this, okay? So I choose purpose over preference. Yes. I choose a cause over choice or personal choice. Yes. I choose purpose over preference. I choose cause over personal choice. Yes. Now let me say this about our cause. It should prevent us from coming into agreement and alignment with things that do not build God's church or kingdom. Our cause should prevent us from coming into agreement and alignment with the things that do not build God's church or kingdom. Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment that you bring conviction, not condemnation. And that if we need to repent from things, that we will do so humbly and find your forgiveness. I think some of us 
have allowed ourselves to come into alignment and agreement with things that are destroying God's church, not building God's church. How? Criticism? Here's what I know to be true. If you don't actively criticize this local church, you probably have criticized another one. Or you've criticized this local church. Here's what we've allowed to happen at times. Here's what we're guilty of at times, if we're honest. Criticizing the way that that church down the road does things, their expression. We criticize the leadership of this house at times. And I, I just want to warn you, we don't come into alignment with things that don't build God's house. We don't lend an ear to conversations that don't build God's house. We don't look for middle ground with the things of this world. We don't seek common ground with the things of this world. In fact, we must get ready because the things of this world are becoming less and less compatible with the things of God. Welcome. You've just invited a friend to church. <laughs> one of the things that we say around here is we, we love to find common ground with one another. And that's a beautiful thing. But let me clarify, that doesn't mean I'm searching for common ground with the things of this world. The common ground we find here in this community and we want to be able to open the doors to anyone that comes in is this. It's very simple. I need a savior. Yes. We all have that in common. Can I get an amen from that at least? Yes. Right? Common ground at the foot of the cross looks like this. I need saving. You need saving. You need, we all need saving. That's common ground. That's the common ground. That's what great unifier is the foot of the cross. But my friend, we don't seek common ground with the things of this world. And we are living in a day and age where the things of this world, what they call good is bad and what they call bad is good. And we're living in a time where we can no longer be compatible with the things of this world. Why am I saying this? Because my friend, you are not of this world. You're in it, but not of it. Are you, are you hearing me? So get ready and steady yourselves and be prepared to lose common ground with the things of this world. And I love you enough to tell you this, whether or not it's your personal preference. Why is our cause so important? Because Paul writes, even in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And here's the key word, for it is the Power, say with me, power, power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Did you catch that? Everyone? Yes. Everyone who believes. First the Jew and then the Greek. Did you catch that? Everyone. Yes. Hope for all. Yes. Did you catch that? Power in our cause. Yes. Our cause is powerful, my friend. Our cause is life-altering. Our cause uh, is life-changing. Our cause is life-transforming. And uh, come on, have you experienced the transformative power through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. 
Right? This is why our cause is powerful. Because it changes the trajectory of your life. It changes those that are going to come after you. My friend, you were once lost and now you're found. We love to sing the song, but have you stopped to think about what a wretch you were? And how you were headed, as Pastor Sophia said, to eternal damnation? Right? Like, I know we don't talk about this. And you're probably looking at me. You're probably visiting going, this guy's too young to be preaching like this. I know we don't hear this in church world enough, but there is a reality that we cannot ignore of what we've been saved and rescued out of. And yes, our cause is to spread the gospel. And in addition to God's ability to draw people to Christ, Paul is teaching us in this scripture that that, that the gospel is there to advance and also to exercise the power of God. This, This is why, if you haven't listened yet, I want you to listen now. This is why church, and if you're visiting us and considering us and trying to figure out what kind of church we are, this right here I'm about to tell you. This is why in this season more than ever, We will not shy away from the move of God in our lives. The power of God. Church, we're called to lean into the move of God. We're called to lean into the power of God. And and I'm going to take it a step further. We are going to expect signs and wonders. We will not be surprised when they happen. We're going to expect it to happen. Oh, my Lord, I wish I had more time. I'm almost out of time. But but I got to say this. I got to say this, because we, we've, we've so fallen asleep that we're surprised when we lay hands and the sick are actually healed. Yeah. Like, oh, that happened? It worked. <laughs> that is what you're called to do. Yeah. Literally, that, that's, it says signs and wonders. Many of them followed the apostles. And Jesus himself said, hey, you see all that I've done? This and more you will do. Why? Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is operating in you. Come on, church. It's time to wake up to the reality that we are called to expect the powerful to take place. And so what happens is this. is, is Oh, my Lord. I, I, I know I'm running out of time, but I got to do this. Signs and wonders have got to become our norm, not our unexpected things. But here's what happens, and I experienced it in my own life. About 10 years ago, my marriage was in the worst pit it's ever been. We're living separated. We're on the brink of divorce. And God does a miraculous, healing, restorative thing. And I want to be careful how I say this. But the people that criticized the restoration and questioned whether it was real or not the most were people in church. So right now, you all amen me when I'm like, he's going to restore, he's going to redeem, and then when it happens in front of your eyes, you question it. You stand back and you go, well, let me see enough fruit and signs of repentance. And I'll tell you what, you want to talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. You want to talk about grieving the heart of God. How dare we question the work of God? How dare we be surprised when all of a sudden addicts no longer have the urge to even return? Like, oh, but Tony's psychology and this. No, no, no. 
my God says, right, like, I'm not throwing away psychology, but he's the one that invented it. Like, there's people in this room right now, several, not just one, not just a few cases, several people whose story I know that you were once bound up by an addiction, and now you can be around it, and it doesn't even phase you. And, 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 but this is what we do. This, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta say this. This is what we do. Thank you for the class. That's great. All glory to God. This is what we do. We go, well, that's kind of the exception to the rule. Why? Church, why is power of the Spirit of God operating in His people a surprise or an exception to the rule? Man, and I'm really gonna go in on this over, over the next few weeks. I gotta close this up. But let me tell you, this is such a serious matter that every apostle made sure that every new believer experienced the power and manifestation of the Spirit of God. And, they, and there's a theology that will actually teach you that they weren't actually saved until they experienced it. There were apostles in the early church that go, great, I'm glad you put your faith in Jesus, but until you actually experience the manifestation of the Spirit of God and the power of God in your life, you're actually kind of selling this thing short. So let me make sure you experience it. Now, I, I, I know I just opened up another can of worms of our theology of salvation, which we will totally go into it. Okay. Van, you can come on up. Don't worry. It is a, still as simple as... You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. But don't sell it short by not allowing yourself to experience the power of God. Because Paul himself even says it is the power of God unto salvation. So it says in Acts 2.43, it says this, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many signs. It became the norm. Here's when I want to give you some hope. Let's expect the norm to be that you were once hopeless and now you have hope. Let's expect the norm that when we lay hands on those that are sick and we believe that God is going to bring healing, that it will take place. Let's believe for broken relationships to be restored. Let's believe for the patron saints of lost causes to become the trophy of God's grace and mercy. Let's, let's not be surprised when we see relationships restored, lives redeemed. Let's not be surprised when we have Sundays like last Sunday. And I asked their permission at first service to share this. So I'm, I didn't share it first service. I had to ask them between services. There's a couple here last weekend that has been meeting with me for about a month. And, and they were in a situation, in a kind of a, not kind of, in a sinful situation, living together, had a kid, weren't married. And they said, we, we want to make this right. We want, we want, and with all odds of Circumstances in their family, I mean, if, if you knew their story, they're just, everything was against them too. The moment they decided to follow Christ, they literally lost family, lost friends, and they were alone. And he's like, we're going to get baptized next Sunday, and between services, you're marrying us, because we're going to do this between, we're going to do, make this right between the Lord. And so we did. I kid you not. I was glad I didn't preach because I was like, all right, let's do this thing. Let's not be surprised when people radically want to transform their lives because they encounter the power of God in their lives. Are you with me on this, church? I know there's a lot to be, continue to be said, so I'm going to just have the self-control and, and be quiet now, okay? I'll finish with this. 
if you truly love Jesus, then you're going to love what the Bible refers to as his bride, and that is the church. Yes, that's the context of the local church and also the kingdom of God. So this moment, I want to thank those of you that have loved this church well, that are loving the kingdom of God well. You've laid down your life. You've chosen relationship over being right. You've chosen your your call of God over your preference. You've you've chosen purpose over your preference. And I want to talk to you and those of you that maybe haven't yet taken that step. I want to challenge you. What is your next step? You know, I shared this before, but as I shared earlier today, my wife and I moved here with our kids uh, about five years ago. You know, I'm not from Idaho, but I got here as quick as I could. Can I get an amen, somebody? Right? Like, but there are certain things that drew me to Idaho. I mean, the family values, the great education, the fact that there's a, a city park in every corner and there's not tents of people sleeping in it, right? Like, it's really nice. I mean, no, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into how we feed the homeless and do all that later. But it hit me that there's things that I love about this place that now that I'm here, it's my responsibility to upkeep the very thing that drew me to this place. See, those things don't just happen out of nowhere. So maybe you're not from Idaho. I want to invite you into upkeep the culture that attracted you here. But let's take it to the spiritual thing. You love this house. There's things you love about it. You know, when we have pies with pastors, we ask people, what drew you to legacy? And we hear, very commonly, we hear all the warmth, the hospitality, the passion. You know, some people get real brave and they tell me, I mean, I know you're Latino, so you're kind of fiery. Just say it. I'm passionate. (laughs) Right? You know, we love the worship. We, Man, what we really hear all the time is, man, our kids love kids' church. This isn't twisting your arm. This is me calling you from a place of consumer to contributor. The very thing you love about this place will continue to grow to the extent that you contribute into it. To the extent that you realize you are the church. You offer now the warm hospitality at the front door. You now create a fun, engaging, safe environment for kids to learn from the Word of God. You now offer that smile. You now offer that that word of encouragement. It's now on us because we are the church. Would you stand to your feet? I'm done. I got so much more I got to say. Thank God I get to just preach for the next few weeks. (laughs) Invite a friend. Tell him I won't go this long next time. We're not supposed to lie. You're right. Um, Here's what we're going to do. If you need prayer for anything, there's people in the back in the prayer corner right now. You need some time to reflect. Maybe some, you're saying, God, what's my next step? Where? What do I do to create a community that, that is in community? What do I do to create a people that, are, that have a cause, that live out that cause? How, what, what, do I, what are you calling me to? If you need some time to reflect or even somebody to process with you, welcome to go to the prayer corner. The band's going to play a song, and here's what's going to happen is none of this would even be possible if it's not for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so at the front here, we've got communion tables, if you want to take some time to reflect and remember the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you can do so at any time. So Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Pray you speak to all of us and empower us to live out what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond. Thank you once again for joining us today. 
We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com, or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.